Hey, y'all, this is Bud Elliott, and welcome back to another edition of the SB Nation Recruiting Podcast. Uh, today with me, I have Richard Johnson. How you guys doing? Uh, looking live in New York City, college football's greatest city. And looking live from Fort Myers, Florida here. Figured having a guest on is better than me just giving you an hour-long monologue, which is kind of boring, especially in uh, early March on college ball recruiting since kids don't sign for another uh, 10 months or so. Today, uh, we want to talk a little bit about early college football recruiting rankings. Uh, number one, they suck. <laughs> Just flat out, they're not any good. Uh, sort of a, as an industry, we, we take a look at these things, and most of the, the energy and the resources in the industry are, are being devoted to the, the class that just finished up. And then there's kind of a lull in recruiting during February after National Signing Day where everybody kind of takes a break. There's some really talented camps that a lot of, a lot of media guys won't even go to because they just need to recharge their batteries. And there are so many kids film that really hasn't even been looked at by a lot of these rating services yet that generally I'm apt to say that the guys at the very top are, are pretty well rated, right? It's not that hard to pick out a couple five stars who have probably been five stars for quite a while. But as you get further and further from that and you go down the rankings a little bit, the, the four stars and the three stars are are pretty jacked up, and, and they're going to change a lot. Yeah, I think the, the most interesting thing for me with recruiting rankings, and it was something that I had asked you the other day. So Dylan Moses, a guy who you know we've known since he was, what, 12 years old as the next big thing on the cover of ESPN Magazine and stuff like that, but he didn't finish as like the number one recruit in the country. And that like that goes to show how like it's really an evolving process. And like the the putting out of recruiting rankings, you know, the top two four seven and the top ESPN three hundred and stuff like that, um, four or five times. Like, yeah, you know, you want to say it's a click play or whatever to get people to click through and all that kind of stuff. Okay, sure, but like these kids evolve, these kids grow. Like stuff happens, their games change, they get different coaches, all that kind of stuff that plays in to the development of a sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old athlete. You know, and that's not even getting near offensive linemen who are going to change and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of why recruiting rankings early can look so wildly different um, than they do you know, February 1st. Exactly right. And you hit on it. The, the reason why we, ha we have these recruiting rankings so early on in the cycle is to justify selling subscriptions. Okay, because people want to know, okay, well, how good is this kid my team just got? And the answer oftentimes is, we don't really know yet, okay? He, he's only played like one season of high school ball. He's still growing. There's this thing called puberty, and it's taking place. Uh, but as, as the season goes on, they do get a lot better. And I think at the end of the year, they're extremely good. And I'd put them right up there when you consider the difficulty of measuring the, the quality of athletes whose bodies are still growing and changing. I'd put them right up there uh, accuracy-wise against the NFL draft guys who, who do this and who are working with uh, guys who are much closer to a finished product. Yeah, and the, 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 yeah, no, the the one thing that I think draft draft Knicks have on, um, on on guys like us that kind of evaluate these guys is they know where these players are going to be used. You know, when they're when they're twenty two, they know how they've been used, and like they know like where they will be used. You know what I mean? Like we're. We're talking about some of these kids at DB, for instance, not going to play DB in college. Like, they're just not. Or they've been being played out of position by their high school coaches or, or they weren't in a system that maximized their talent or whatever. So there's this, like, 
you're you're projecting a lot more at this level than you do at the draft level. And at the draft level, you're still projecting a hell of a lot. Absolutely. And the other thing that you have, if you're a draft guy as opposed to a, a college uh, you know, recruiting evaluator, is you have some understanding of the level of competition faced, right? Like we know the SEC is generally the best league. We know that the ACC and the Big Ten, for the most part, produce the, the second and third most amount of draft prospects. If you're watching high school ball, I mean, Richard, you, you covered ball in, in Florida before, now up there in Connecticut. I mean, gosh, it, the, the, the level of competition is so drastically different. Yeah, um, at least at least in Florida, it's funny. I the first time I ever went to cover a you know recruiting camp or whatever, um, it was a Florida just like a, a regular Florida summer camp, and I was like, I I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm 20 years old or whatever. My boss was like, Look, start with the kids with dreads. I swear to you, that's what he said. He said, Start with the kids with dreads. You're in Florida. If they got dreads, at least they can play a little bit. And so, like, it's I say that to say jokingly, like, that's the crapshoot of this stuff. You know, even the June before these guys even play their junior seasons or their senior seasons. Absolutely. And that's uh, that's interesting advice. Um, I will say that for the most part, the kids with the real extravagant hairstyles can play. Because if you're not any good, you know, basically it's like, hey, you can wear that if you can pull it off. But if you can't pull it off, you know, maybe don't draw so much attention to your, to your lack of game. Yeah, um, Deion Sanders wore all that jewelry for a reason. Exactly. All right, so now team rankings, on, on the flip side, are based on the players' rankings, which we've already discussed early in the cycle are quite flawed. But there's another flaw in the team rankings so early on, and that is that they are using a formula that is pretty much correctly used when everybody has kind of a standardized number of commitments at the end of the cycle. But if you plug in the data early on to the formula, you get some really wonky results. And that's because you ultimately have this, this additional factor of quantity and a lot of variance in quantity where some classes have 15 commits and some have four, uh, as opposed to normally a formula that is controlled for quantity and is just looking at quality. Uh, early on in the rankings, we don't have that. And so you have some, some kind of wonky results, which we're going to get into today. And, and for you folks today, we're going to have Kind of a fun game. We took the top 10 uh, recruiting rankings as of uh, March 8th here, about lunchtime. This might change by the time we publish. Not our fault. Uh, and we're going to look and we're going to say, okay, who do they have in the class? What are they doing well? And then also Richard and I are going to pepper each other with over-unders. Where do you think this class will finish? And then in 10 months, we will look back and probably laugh at ourselves for how hilariously wrong we were because we're – trying to project where a bunch of high schoolers will go to school. <laughs> yeah, I like. And, you know, you talk about the numbers game. Like, you see it. So I guess we can kind of start at, okay, signing day. So you like the standardized number. Everybody, you know, the number is quote-unquote 25. Some people get 22, 23. Some people get 26, 27, or whatever. Um, when you look at kind of the top 15, top 20 classes, you see everybody's got in the mid-20s to the high-20s. Uh, but Stanford's got 14 commits, yet is number 14. Clemson's got 14 commits, yet is number 16. That's a quality versus quantity thing. So you see it, you know, when we get to signing day. And so you back that all the way up and you look at the top three. The top three are the only classes in America that have double digit kids in them. Like there's there's nobody in the top 15 that has or excuse me, there are two teams in the top 15 that have fewer than five commits in, in the 2018 recruiting class already. Um, there are a few teams in the top 20 uh, that have fewer than four. 
Like it, it's just it's a numbers game. And then you get down to like the 40s and the 50s and you see you see Florida, you see Texas, you see Stanford. They've got like three kids. All right. Like it's just that's just the way it is. And, and I got to say, I'm a little bit disappointed because normally I'm able to get an article out of how like Kentucky or Mississippi State or I don't know, Texas, you know, uh, Texas Tech will not finish with the number one class despite the fact they have it in, in March, right? Because they've taken so many commits. Uh, this year, I think all the teams that have loaded up on early commits are kind of more blue bloods and have legitimate staying power. So that's uh, that's kind of sad from a content production perspective here. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you guess you want to, I guess we can go ahead and kind of get into the rankings if you want and kind of transition there. But you talk about front loading and, and stuff like that and a blue blood at least. Um, and Miami's sitting there at number one with 13 commits. And that's like, th- that I guess is something that has uh, that has stayed through the Mark Richt era is just loading up on guys early in the cycle. Yeah, I- exactly. And, and Miami, they, they do have 13 commits, but they also, uh, they have a lot of quality in this class. I- I've seen a number of their prospects, probably, I've probably seen 75% of their commits o- over the last month, uh, w- which is a high number for, for a school, but I'm based here in Florida. And so that, that's very helpful to have Miami two hours away, Tampa two hours away, Orlando three and a half, uh, Jacksonville. Never mind. Um, <laughs> gosh, it takes forever to drive across Jacksonville. Um, you know, they have Lorenzo Lingard, who's just a stud running back. A lot of people have compared to, to Todd Gurley and, and shout out to uh, Lingard barbecue is uh, his family's catering company and apparently makes some really good cue. I, I want to try that. He's kind of a, the rock of their class. They, they, they just got Brian Hightower, a, a top receiver out of IMG Academy, originally from California, a, a big body guy, not great speed, but you know, nice third down, red zone target. Um, and they have Josh Job, who I think might be the best defensive back I've seen so far this year with the, the note that at, at Pat Sertan Jr. Uh, had a partially torn hamstring and wasn't able to compete uh, so far at camps this year. Job, who apparently... Uh, he he no commented this and said he didn't want to do interviews, but other people at the camp told me that the Miami camp said that he would be transferring to uh, the Cheshire Academy up in Connecticut. So, Richard, you're about to get an infusion of talent up there. He might literally be the best player in the state the, the moment he transfers. Um, immediately, the moment the boots hit the ground. Yeah. Um, I, I think the one intriguing thing with Miami, we saw it in the 2017 recruiting class they just landed, and now we are definitely seeing it now. There is, as I'm eyeballing this class, there is – one player who lives north of I-4, uh, which essentially is the the rough Mason-Dixon line of Florida, which cuts off North Florida and South Florida for those out-of-staters. Um, there's one player who lives north of, of I-4. It and runs Orlando to Tampa, Yeah, if, if y'all have not hit it. There's one north of I-4. There is, I believe, only one other player, so two players – north of Alligator Alley, which essentially is the Everglades. This entire recruiting class right now is in South Florida, like all of it. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, especially if you want to count, uh, you know, IMG kids as as being Florida kids. Now, I know oftentimes I will break it out and I'll say, okay, who's actually from Florida at these schools are getting? Because oftentimes what we see is that kids return uh, to where they came from when they end up going to IMG. For instance, QB Arthur Stowski who's a very interesting prospect uh, in Miami's commit list. He's from New Jersey. Yeah, he's got like and a I, Rutgers offer. I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, exactly. I, I think Satowski's a really interesting take for them, by the way, because I, I know, uh, you know some schools he's visited have, have passed on offering him. 
electing to say, hey, we want to see you throw in our summer camp. We want to be able to work with you hands-on because physically it's there. Arm talent, it's there. The film, it's not there. And he played in kind of a wonky wing tee offense, and he didn't have a lot of talent around him. But I, I think there's some hesitation. So Miami is taking a bit of a gamble. It could pay off in a big way. It could also blow up in their face because typically you, you get married to your quarterback pretty early, and there's not a whole lot of quarterback shuffling going around as we play the QB dominoes game. Richard, Miami the last two years, their average class has been 17th. Obviously, they're going to be above that this year, I think. So I'm going to I'm going to give you an over under here, uh, and we'll we'll see. I'll basically the, the guy setting the over under is the house, so we'll, we'll get stuck with the side that you don't take. I'm going to say for Miami eighth. I am I'm tempted to say to to take the over there. I'm tempted to say the over there because. I think they can finish higher than eighth because if Statowski, you know, at, first of all, I really trust Mark Rick for quarterbacks, right? I, I think we kind of get that out of the way. Like, the guy kind of has a nose for it or whatever. Um, I think, and we'll get into this, I think, a little bit later. I think as we see the bump up for recruits as they kind of, you know, as recruiting rankings evolve and stuff like that, um, I think Statowski becomes a guy that can kind of, move up the board up the board up the board and I'm, I'm essentially i'm saying looking in this class saying who can end up being a five star you know miami's got one right now in lingard uh, you know we assume he'll stick as a five star let's say miami ends up landing like two or three five stars maybe even four or five stars i i don't know how you keep that class out of the top six out of the top five so yeah i'll, I'll take higher than uh i'll take higher than eighth or whatever okay. you said, uh, sure I, I like that, but it, but it made you think a little bit. So we're going to say it's a decent number because um, seven, I feel like, I don't know, because you got a strong push possibility there. Um, I didn't want to give you nine. So Penn State is next. They have 11 commits this year. Uh, defensive end Micah Parsons, arguably the best D end in the nation. Uh, QB Justin Fields is a guy who's already rated as a four star. And, and man, Richard, I got to tell you, I think this kid's a five star. Yeah. Verified 6'3, 221. Uh, the, the best way I put it was Russell Wilson without the height concerns. <laughs> okay. Uh, he, he's, a, he's an excellent baseball player. Uh, I think the highest uh, spark rating so far, the well, whatever they call it, a Nike combine rating or whatever the hell it is, but it, basically it's the, the old spark rating for, for recruitniks who are probably the only people listening to this podcast in March. Um, highest QB spark rating so far among kids who are actually going to play QB in, in college. Yeah, great size, best thrower I've seen so far. Yeah, I think Penn State's class is interesting for a similar reason. Um, a similar reason that Miami's interesting. I think you look down this class, a lot of dudes from Pennsylvania. I mean, they've gotten, they've locked up some of the better talent in the state. And so you kind of get your house in order there, and then you can go, you know, wherever you want and, and wherever you need to because Penn State has to be a little bit more of a national recruiter. And I mean, they are a national brand, I would say. Um, especially on the Eastern Seaboard. And so, you know, James Franklin and co. being a good recruiter, all that kind of stuff, they can kind of venture out and, and not necessarily have to worry about Pennsylvania. Um, you know, the, your major population center is Philly. It's more of a basketball town, anecdotally anyway. And to be honest, Penn State doesn't do awesome 
in uh, in Philly regardless. So, you know, Penn State's gotten the Pennsylvania house in order, so go out and do what you need to do wherever you want and kind of beef this class up with out-of-state talent, which, you, I mean, you have to do anyway. And, and, and you look at where the other kids are from, right? They're, they're, they're places that Penn State, when Penn State is recruiting well, are doing well. So we have a kid from D.C., kid in Massachusetts, uh, a kid from New Jersey. Now, Justin Fields is from Kennesaw, Georgia, which, which is uh, North Atlanta, basically, um, in, in the Burbs. But most of their kids, you're right, are from Pennsylvania uh, and, and the surrounding areas. They have one kid from Texas. I, their, their, last, uh, their last two years, they've averaged 15th. I think clearly we both expect that probably to go up because Penn State's been good. Like, like they're, they seem to be on the way up. I, I don't know. What, what, what kind of number you got for me? I, I'm going to test you here. I'm going to go 12. I'm going to set it at 12. Ooh, Penn, you know, so basically what you're saying is can Penn State get a top 10 class? Essentially, yeah. Can Penn State get a top 10 class? So to do that, they're going to have to hold on to Justin Fields. Huh. Obviously, I think they'll hold on to, Par- to, to Parsons. Ooh, man, this is tough. Because if I go under, basically I'm saying that, that they're, they're going to not. I, I'm going to go over. I think just for a couple reasons. Number one, Michigan State was not a young team last year, right? They were actually they were a bad team, but they were a veteran bad team. They lost a lot. Michigan lost a whole lot. Uh, Ohio State's probably the favorite for that division, but Penn State should be pretty damn good again. I, I'm going to go over. I, I think that kids are going to to perceive that James Franklin is really building something there. He's going to build on the success of the 2016 season. Put put me down for over on 12. All right, so they'll finish higher than 12. Yeah, I, I think they're going to have a strong chance to get a top 10 class. All right, all right. All right. Next, we have Notre Dame. And that was not very like fancy enough. Uh, <laughs> Notre Dame. Yeah. yeah, you need your 1950s radio voice for Notre Dame. I, I do. We need, we need uh, if the sound guys listen to this, we need, we need them to like throw that in there. It'd be great. <laughs> um, the only independent on our list, obviously, 11 commits. Phil Jerkovac is a really talented kid. Uh, dual threat quarterback out of Pennsylvania, excellent athlete, big time arm. Um, some people think he's the best QB in the country. If you, if you do, I don't really want to argue with you. I like him a lot. <laughs> and then safety Derek Allen out, out of the Marietta, uh, Georgia area, Lasseter High School. I think a lot of us have heard of that heard of that school before. Pretty much a consensus top ten DB in the nation. It, it's it's a nice start. They also got a pair of twins out of uh, St. Peter's Prep there in Jersey City. With uh, Jason and Justin, I always screw this up, but it's Ad, Adam, Adam Walla. Yeah, I'm glad you took a swing at it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, uh, folks for home who probably have better pronunciation than I do. It It's a good class. Um, now, Notre Dame, the last two years, their average has been 12th. But what was their record last year? I believe Notre Dame went 4-8, and eight, as sources can confirm. 4-8. and eight. Now, I, I think they were a better team, like, quality of play than four and eight, maybe some, some bad close game luck, but they, but they did go four and eight. That, that's, that's accurate. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like the shine is off Notre Dame a little bit, but to a certain extent, it'll always be Notre Dame. So I, I can't drop this number too far, right? There's just a, a, a number of kids who will always say yes to Notre Dame. So for my over under, and obviously a lot of this, your, your prediction here is going to be, how does Notre Dame do this season? I don't, I don't know what their schedule is like. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 15th. 
Oh, 15. See, I thought you were going to go like 12, and I was going to go under 12. I, boy. Um, mm, I want to, God, I wish I could push. wish I could push 12. Um, I will go under 15. I'll go under 15 because of this. I, I look at the schedule. Um, they've got, I'm looking at Georgia. They go to Boston College, to Michigan State. Those should be fine. They go to North Carolina, which is interesting. Um, then they get USC. They go to Miami and Stanford. So I, I think if, you, if you're looking at Georgia, USC, Miami, and Stanford as like they might lose those games – um, because they are still going to be pretty young, especially on the back end. Um, you know, that's kind of an eight and four floor or an eight and floor kind of line. Um, if they go much worse than that, like if the, if the bottom kind of falls out on this thing and they go six and six, I like Brian Kelly is going to be looking for a job this time next year. I mean, well, he'll probably have a job this time next year, but I should say in the off season, I, I can't imagine he sticks around if they go six and six, seven and five, like that's not going to be a good look. Um, and so I think, I think I'll bet on some coaching attrition. I think I'll bet on them missing the mark on the field and having the recruiting, the recruiting class be kind of in this kind of holding pattern. Um, and then a transitional recruiting class having to be the 2018 class, and we know how those go. So I'll take under under 15. Okay, so so not a complete collapse, but a slight regression compared to where they've been over the last two seasons. I, I think I can get on board with that. I'm I'm not really comfortable that you're sticking me with the over here, Richard. This is not <laughs> that's that's not a ticket. I, I think I'm gonna be able to go to the window in cash. Uh, next up, LSU. They. Uh, they had nine commits, almost certainly will have the best defensive back class in the country. They already have Kelvin Joseph. They already have Caden Stearns. They already have Nadab Joseph, who is a really cool kid, if, if you get to talk to him. Uh, actually draws all his own tattoos. Wow. That's incredible. And uh, has the highest uh, spark score in the country, I think, so far. Certainly the highest one in Miami, uh, six foot two, uh, out of Miami Edison there. Really, really a cool kid. Uh, I've enjoyed getting, getting to talk to him a couple times. Thinks about your question a little bit. It's not nervous. Gives a nice, thoughtful answer. Pretty cool. Uh, now, to that, they're probably going to add Pat Sertan Jr., I think, which he's arguably the best corner to come out of South Florida since a guy named Patrick Johnson, who listeners may know better as Patrick Peterson. You know, He was Patrick Johnson before he changed his name. Uh, now he's a really good DB. In the NFL, he also played at LSU. Uh, Sertan's family is from Louisiana, so... Yeah, I, I think that they are kind of locked at the best DB class. My concerns here, though, Richard, they they have to play five SEC road games this year. I, you know, I'm glad you kind of brought up the Louisiana connection because that's the way I when I kind of think about this class. Okay, so the the deal with the Louisiana high school, uh, maybe I should back up a little bit further. Look, if you're a really good player in the state of Louisiana and LSU wants you to come to LSU, you go to LSU unless you go to Alabama. That's right. Unless you live in like the very northern part of the state. Yeah. Or yeah. If you're like Monroe, like high, high up there, like basically Arkansas. Um, Or if you're good enough to go to Alabama, Alabama takes you, whatever. Um, So LSU's got the market about as cornered as you could want it. It's not like Ohio cornered, but I mean, it's pretty much cornered. Um, so with that being said, now, if the Louisiana high school coaches are in a tiff with LSU, 
How do you think that's going to play throughout the recruiting process? Do Are we going to kiss and all the way make up by the time senior seasons start? Is this a thing Ed Orgeron's going to have to go through? Because that kind of colors how I think about this class. I, I agree with you there. Now, so intel that I got was that, remember that whole uh, boycott thing that was going on? Yeah, essentially, you know, because I want to kind of explain it to the listener. Essentially, there was a boycott going on with like LSU coaches and um, and LS, or excuse me, Louisiana high school coaches and LSU. Um, we'll get to how another school profited off that, but it became like a thing. So apparently, from some people I talked to who I, I trust and feel like are pretty plugged in down there, the boycott was a lot smaller than it was reported to be. It was kind of one dude who was then name dropping other dudes that he was claiming was boycotting, but when they were talked to, they were like, actually, we're not boycotting. Um, so good job of sort of, uh, it was kind of boy singular cot, right? Like one dude <laughs> was, was, was boycotting or, or maybe a couple, but not in the mass scale that it was seemed to be. And LSU has since made some other hires that I think are, um, going to help them w- with the local community as well. And I don't expect LSU to t- take a, a dip in state really. In fact, I think that in state this year, they really didn't do all that great. They, they really did a great job out of state, but that, you know, the state of Louisiana this year was not necessarily the most talented it's been. I, I think it'll be really, really good again in the 2018 class though. Um, in the interest of not having this be an hour and a half show, we should probably get to the over under here. Uh, hit me with it. Yeah. We'll roll over under, uh, I'll go five. I'll hammer you hard. Is this, Ooh, is this going to be like an elite LSU recruiting class? Okay. So, They they do lose a lot in the back end. Um, they've been they've averaged fifth in the last couple of years. Huh. Man, I, ultimately, you got to start thinking who do you like to be up there, right? I, I like Bama to be up there. I like Ohio State to be up there. I I like probably Michigan to be up there. This is tough. I really want to push this, but I'm going to say under. Slightly, I still think LSU should be in the top ten, but I think they might be in that six or seven range. Yeah, they what well, they finished six last year too. Yeah, so yeah. All right. Uh, next is Florida State. Seven commits. Uh, they've been fourth in the last two years on average. Uh, James Cook, obviously the little brother of Dalvin Cook, who is now eighty percent committed. Um, Got to love these commitment percentages these kids give out. <laughs> that's largely a reaction to media asking them how solid are you to a school. Uh, and then defensive tackle Robert Cooper, who has continued to drop bad weight and is now benching 465 pounds uh, entering his senior year and posting those videos all the time. Every time he does, we put those up on Tomahawk Nation and Facebook goes nuts. <laughs> I, I think FSU is, is in a really good recruiting spot uh, this year. They've kind of been top dog in the state for quite a while. I like their chance to, again, have, have the best class in the state. Um, there's a number of top kids that they are are really in on. Receiver Josh Moore out of IMG, uh, Teron Vincent, the son of Troy Vincent, he's a top defensive tackle. That's sort of an FSU, uh, Ohio State battle. There's a number of really good kids, and, and they're doing better in Georgia this year, which is interesting. It looks like, I don't want to say they've backed off South Florida, but they I, I think they're throwing out a little more offers than Georgia normal, and, and maybe on some of these South Florida kids, they're not – necessarily sure that that they they want them maybe maybe after they come to the camp they will uh but i'm gonna say 
All right, so they've been fourth the last two years. I think they'll take a relatively full class. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go fourth again. Fourth. I, I'm gonna fourth. take. Yeah. See, I'll take under four because I think that when you talk about, so if Florida State is gonna take some relatively here before everybody kills me on Twitter, if if Florida State's gonna take resources relative to what they've been doing out of South Florida, um, just a bit and kind of kind of hedge a little bit into Georgia I see the fights the the two front battle of South Florida and then Georgia kind of eroding what this class can be Um, you know I think you can logically think Florida's at least on the right track recruiting wise um, to maybe get better than 10th next season so if Florida's kind of coming up if Miami's kind of coming up and putting a fence ish around South Florida to kind of make that happen and you're fighting Georgia, um, who's putting a fence around the state of Georgia as as much as you can put a fence around the state of Georgia. Um, I don't know if Florida State can land that top four class. Um, I'm comfortable saying it's going to be a top ten class. It's Florida State, for God's sakes. And I'm pretty comfortable saying it would probably be the best class in the state. Um, but I think uh, the rising tide kind of lifts all boats type of thing. Um, the, the, the Jims and the Joneses are coming up in a way that I think will erode Florida State just a touch uh, and, and kind of, you know, bring them down just a little bit. I, I think that's fair. Uh, and also, if you go with a number like four, that basically means you only have three possible spots you can win in. Uh, unless you think you're going to beat Bama, that's really only two spots, uh, you know, third, third or second. So it, it's probably a smart play as well by you to take the larger, larger possible landing spots. Yeah, absolutely. And so we will go uh, – we'll transition to USC – USC currently ranks fifth. Um, USC is another situation, as we've talked about before, um, similar to LSU, similar to Ohio, where the market is cornered. If you live west of the Rocky Mountains, you're good, and USC wants you to come to USC, you go to USC. Um, The two five-star talents that they have in the recruiting class already – um, are they're five star talents? They're really, really good players. Um, USC's got the quarterback banked. He is a uh, a South, excuse me, a Southern California kid. Um, and it's a California and with one Bishop Gorman Las Vegas uh, centric recruiting class. And so, based on the strong close USC had to the season last year, then the recruiting class, and then coming into this season where the hype train is just going to be unbelievable heading into uh, heading into the 2017 football season. Um, can USC parlay this into like a crown jewel recruiting class? Honestly, like I set the number at four because that's Ooh. the question. Can, can USC parlay this into a crown jewel recruiting class? That's, that's an aggressive number. I, the one thing I don't know yet is exactly how many kids USC is going to take. Like, will they take another full class? I, I think they probably will. And for that reason, it's USC. I'm, I'm very, I'm conscious that look in the North you have Stanford, which always recruits well. You have a very rapidly improving Washington. You have an Oregon staff I think is going to recruit extremely well. But it's it's still USC. I I'm going to go aggressive here and and go over. I'm, I'm going to take USC to land a top three class. Yeah, I would. I, honestly, I would do the same thing. I would do the same thing. I, I think USC is going to be – I think they're going to be scary. All right. Uh, next year, we're rolling right along. Clemson. Last couple of years, average has been 12th. 
five commits so far. Everybody in this class is a really good player, it looks like. Uh, QB Trevor Lawrence, the consensus number one player, not just number one quarterback, but number one player in the country. Uh, and then defensive tackle Josh Belk, who Clemson always seems to have elite-level defensive linemen. Um, the only thing that holds me back with Clemson is is potentially class size. I, I think pound for pound, they're going to have a, a class that reminds me a little bit of what Ohio State did this last year. Where, where if, you, if you guys recall, listeners, uh, Ohio State actually had a higher star rating average than Alabama did in the end, but Bama had like six or seven more kids, so it, it bumped their class up on the formula. Richard, for this one, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a tough number again. I'm going to say... I'm going to say fourth. Oh, I'll go under four. I'll go under four. I don't I don't think they get a top three recruiting class, primarily because I think, and we'll get to Ohio State later, but, I mean, Ohio State's sitting right there. Come on. Like, like I, I think that um, – I think Clemson will be fine. Like you said, they get the number one recruit in the nation. Um, I agree that it kind of is going to be a numbers thing. Um, they are in South Carolina, and they will take some South Carolina guys – um, you know, they got Brent Venables' son in the class already. He's a three-star guy. Um, so, it, look, it's Clemson. They will be fine. They will get elite talent. Um, and it'll be top ten class. I think it'll it'll eke into the top ten because I don't think they're going to take, like, 14 kids again. So I think they'll have the numbers. Like, they might be a low 20s recruiting class. And if they get 20 guys in, I think the quality of that class can bump them into the top ten. Elite top three recruiting class, I don't think it's going to happen for Clemson this year. If I had said fifth, would that have messed with you at all? Or are you more you more have them in kind of that seven, eight, nine, ten range? Yeah, if you would have said seven, I would have done some soul searching. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Texas AM. Now this is an interesting one here. Six commits. Uh the last fifteen years or last excuse me, last two years, they've averaged the fifteenth best class. It's an offensive line heavy class. Uh, Jim Turner, their offensive line coach, is a good recruiter and a, and a, a guy that kids like a lot. Uh, Colton Blanton, Luke Matthews. This is going to be a really interesting year because we're not sure what Kevin Sumlin's going to do. They're losing a lot of talent on that defense. Not sure what the quarterback situation is going to be. Might be early enrollee Kellen Mond. Uh, might be uh, Nick Starkle, the former Oklahoma State commit, who they, they flipped uh, a couple years ago. Hit me with the number here. What, what, what do you think? This is kind of the one I'm, I'm the least sure on. I set it at 12, which is probably a little aggressive. Um, I set it at 12. Ooh, okay. See, the thing is, A&M's feeder city is Houston, and this is probably the most talented Houston's been in, in a good long while. Certainly when I when I was in Houston a month ago, the guys who cover Houston a lot said this is the most talented we, we've seen a city maybe ever. Because of that, there's a certain floor that you're just going to have when you have the facilities Texas A&M has, when you have the SC name, and when you have that much talent around you. But, man, I... I've already gone over, I think, three times. So I, even though the twelve, even though twelve is is certainly a little bit of a knock from from where they've been, I, I'm going to take the under here. I, I think that they're going to be in that sort of fourteen to eighteen type range. I would agree because I think you, when you talk about you mentioned Sumlin, um, you know we don't know what's going to happen if September Sumlin re- rears its ugly head again and they can't close the season. Great, you know, Lord knows what's going to happen there if people kind of get upset. But the other thing is you mentioned Houston, but you didn't mention University of Texas. Texas is not going to have this twenties recruiting class again. It's, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen with Tom Herman. And if Tom Herman's got roots 
anywhere, anywhere in the state, it's the city of Houston. Um, and so if Texas goes and hammers Houston hard, uh, then Texas A&M is going to be in for a dogfight for some of these kids. And I, I don't know if they're going to come out on the right end of the stick. Because you say what you want about Texas. When Texas is right, and I know that Texas has not really been right in the, you know, in the, in the, uh, the, the memories of these kids. Um, but when Texas is right and Tom, Her- Tom Herman, however, is, and I think that Texas can parlay that into really eroding what Texas A&M is trying to do uh, in the city. All right. Uh, we go now to Ohio state Four commits, uh, all of them really quality QB Emory Jones again out of Atlanta. How about that? The two top quarterbacks in the state of Texas are both committed to Ohio state and Penn state. You think that'll hold? I'm not so sure. <laughs> uh, and then uh, safety, Jaden Woodbay is, is also really good. They also got, got two nice running backs. This is one of the, the super elite recruiters. In the last two years, 2016, 2017 classes, they've averaged number three, which is only behind Alabama. How, how big do you think this class would be? I think it's, I think it's going to be bigger than, than, than last year because – Look, the 2016 team lost very few players to the draft. Comparatively, you're going to have a lot more draft-eligible guys on the 2017 roster, which means you're probably probably going to have more scholarships uh, to give, ultimately. I don't know if it's going to be a lot bigger, but I think it will be somewhat bigger. Yeah, they, uh, they so grabbed I'm, 21 last year, just for reference. Yeah, so maybe they end up taking 23 this year. I, Urban Meyer always finds a way to, to sign kids, even even in the Big Ten. Uh, they, they, they don't... They don't shy away from churning that roster up a little bit. I'm gonna 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 give you a number here. Two and a half. Oh God. Oh man. Um. Oh wow. Um. Two and a half. I will go under. I'll hedge it, and because I think I think it'll be a top three recruiting class. Um, but I think I wanted to see if you do that. Yeah. yeah, I think Alabama, (laughs) I think Alabama is going to be strong, obviously. Um, and I I honestly think USC is going to be just elite. So I think I'll take, uh, I think I'll take under 2.5 and take them at like three or four. Um, so if I said three, you'd you'd really be kind of in a pickle here. Yeah. If I'd have said three, you would have, you would have upset me if you'd have said three. Um, but I'll take the under 2.5 and go three. I'm going to throw your curveball here actually. Uh, because to keep it consistent, we haven't done any half numbers yet. Uh, the, the book actually moved the line before you got your bet in, Richard. So it, it's actually three uh, is, is the number. So now, now we you, really got we got a trouble here. If I, if I had to bet, if I had to bet on Urban Meyer, I will bet the over on. Oh, three. changing the bet here. If I have to bet, if I have to bet on Urban Meyer, I will. I'll get a little risky. I'm on a hot streak. I'm feeling myself. Um, so I'll bet on Urban Meyer higher than three. I guess. All right, I like that. Now, Kansas. This might be my favorite recruiting class in the country. Kansas is, the last two years, they've averaged uh, 68th nationally, (laughs) which is really bad. Uh, Six commits, four from Louisiana. They've they've thrown out early offers to kids. They were oftentimes the first to offer some kids. They have a staff of young, energetic dudes who are getting after it, and Look, are they going to be able to hold all these kids? Probably not. Is it is it good regardless? Yeah, I think so because you're, you're at least getting the Kansas name out there. When's the last time you heard a kid talk about Kansas in a positive way? 
So uh, they're doing a good job. Now, I'm not going to ask you if they're going to finish top 10. Actually, you're making the number on this one. But this has been a cool little story here. Kansas actually, and they were top five for a little bit. Yeah, I like, I look at who's kind of, I, I look at essentially, like you said, where will they kind of hold on to these kids? And will there be any sort of moment? Like one of these guys from Louisiana, you know, committed or whatever and like rescinded it in like 10 days. So like, you know, that's kind of the move here. Um, but you look, I'm going to set it at 35 because you see the guy, the, the teams around that are in the higher 30s, you see a, well, Ole Miss is Ole Miss, but you see TCU, you see Louisville, you see Utah, Michigan State. Colorado is, I think, the ceiling here with Kansas. Or not maybe not the ceiling. Maybe ceiling is not the right term. Colorado is kind of, I would say, a benchmark. Now, I don't think that Kansas is going to be anywhere near Colorado on the field. But in a sense of being a team that's just kind of out there um, in the West, not in Texas, not in California, just kind of out there in the Midwest, flyover states, whatever you want to call it, um, can they get enough guys to kind of get in the 30s here, in the mid-30s, and kind of make a little bit of noise and then just do something on the field and then kind of parlay that into – something else and something else and something else like it's not like i know it was 10 years ago i know but it's not like kansas football and god i cannot believe i'm saying this it's not like kansas football has never gotten near anything successful they don't often get near anything that's successful but it's not like it's never happened so you can kind of see what it at least looks like in your mind's eye for kansas to kind of have something i got you there man but 35 Oof. I, I If we were talking about the 2019 recruiting class, like assuming that Kansas maybe has a good season this year, but they don't make a bowl, right? Like maybe they, they pull a four and eight or something or, or, or a, a five and nine. Which would, or, or excuse me, five and seven. That'd be an improvement. Yeah, right. By Kansas standard, it's, it's, it's considerable improvement. And you have some uncertainty in the Big 12 with Kansas State, their coaching situation, uh, and, and obviously Texas Tech with they just still don't play any defense. Uh, now they just lost, lost Pat Mahomes. Maybe some hot seat talk there in Lubbock, and you don't know what's going on at A and M. Even though they're not a conference member, they're you know they're recruiting the same circles as far as areas. But thirty five is tough for me to see. I I'm gonna have to go under there. Um, if you had said forty five, I would have probably been a little more a little more hesitant. But I, I'm gonna take under on the thirty five. If Kansas lands a top 35 recruiting class, that that, that staff deserves a medal. <laughs> My what I will say one quick question on Kansas because you brought up Kansas State. And I know that, you know, I know that Kansas State's more of these like Juco, Diamonds and the Rough guys. But let's say you're Kansas and you're going up against Kansas State for one of the best players in the state, let's just say. How do you recruit against Bill Snyder? How negative do you get as a Kansas coach? talking about the reality of Bill Snyder's situation and his age. And, and the latest update on Bill Snyder was he has, what was he, what, what was his diagnosis? I'm, I'm trying to remember. There are so many updates and stuff. Is, is he? I, th- I, it was, I believe it was throat cancer, um, okay. but he's expected to like be back for spring. So it's, so they, they caught it early treatment, that, that type of deal. Yeah. I, I think at that point you, you negatively recruit the age hard. Um, 
We just saw this with Dad Mata, uh, the Ohio State basketball coach, who claimed that somebody had negatively recruited against him and claiming that he was dying. Um, I Just as a human, I, I, I can't do that, right? Yeah. Th- th- there's something there. And I do feel like even though negative recruiting is extremely effective, there's uh, something in all of us. Wouldn't you be turned off a little bit? Like if you're recruiting, a guy comes in into your home and says, you know, the Kansas State coach is dying. Like, like I, I don't think you can go hard on that. Now, I do think you can do the age thing. But especially, I think in Kansas, I think is the thing. It's not just the guys dying, whatever. I don't think you can walk into a Kansas living room and hammer the institution of college football in the state is dying. I don't know if you can right. do that. No, definitely not. That, 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 there's a good chance that would actually make the news um, that, that uh, you've done so. They're like, excuse me, who? Who are you, David Beatty? <laughs> like, like, huh? No. Uh, so I'm going to go under on that. We only have a couple minutes left here, I think. So the the kind of perennial top ten teams that we did not mention: Richard, uh, Alabama, Michigan, Auburn, and Georgia. Maybe Texas. Anything to worry about with them? Any any reason to think they would not be top ten? Michigan, from a number standpoint, I wonder. But Michigan took like 30 guys. I mean, it took a giant recruiting class. I wonder what's going to happen with the numbers next season um, and if Michigan has to take like a 18, 19, uh, 18, 19 recruits, signees in a class. I don't know if that's going to work. Georgia, can they do it again? Can they pull off an elite recruiting class with a fence around the state of Georgia type thing again? Um, Auburn, what are you going to do, Auburn? Like, Jarrett stood in the second coming? Yeah. We don't I, know yet. Maybe. That's the thing. Auburn kind of sits there. Um, Alabama, I mean, you can pretend like Alabama's not going to have the number one recruiting class in the country, but, I mean, have fun. All right. Now it's time for the No Star Showcase. We've timed this up. Oh, man, this is really – our timing on this episode has been good. We, we only had the booth for 45 minutes, so uh, if our audio engineer is listening in, we'll be done in about two minutes here. I call this the No Star Showcase. This is where we give some love to kids who are legitimately – uh, very good talents who either don't have any stars yet or don't have any big-time offers yet. First up is a kid named Jarvis Ware, 5'11 and a half, 175 out of Wakaiva High School. He's a defensive back. Wakaiva, for y'all who don't know, is basically between Orlando and Jacksonville, and it's just kind of an area of there's just not a whole lot going on there, so it makes <laughs> God, that sense. That sounds like he a would... miserable drive. Yeah, right. Good God. Uh, so you know maybe he wouldn't get a lot of exposure, uh, and that's understandable. Southern Miss, uh, Tony Picaro is is the only school that has offered him. Tony is the really good defensive coordinator there with a nice eye for talent. Oftentimes gives out early offers. I was trying to shoot a lot of reps of Brian Hightower, Josh Moore, Mark Pope, all those guys. And what I found was the only kid consistently screwing up the videos I was trying to shoot of those top receivers was this kid named Jarvis Ware. So I went <laughs> home, looked at him, no 247 profile. Okay, that's kind of weird. Uh, checked him. Told me he had a 3.8. Seems like a nice kid. Um, and so I watched his film. Aggressive, physical, pretty good instincts. Is the top end speed great? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But, hey, there's not a lot of guys with that kind of length and that kind of body control and, and aggressiveness. If he doesn't work out at corner, I think he could at least be a, be a high-level safety. Now we know Oregon's coming to look at him in, this, in his spring practice. I think a lot of other schools... We'll also uh, start to take a look at him, especially because you don't want Oregon going in and offering a kid who ends up being a high-level dude before any of the Florida schools have. So USF may be getting on him. We'll see about UCF. I'm sure Ward will get down their way as well. And, and ultimately, I think Jarvis will probably end up potentially as a four-star kid. Uh, and that, that's, that's kind of cool. And it's a good example of 
like, hey, uh, not everybody has their evaluations done this time of year. Yeah, exactly. It's it's still very, very early in the process, and, and we'll see where things go. The other kid I want to talk about today is a receiver out of uh, Lehigh High School named Russell Brown, six foot two, 189. I think he had the fifth best uh, spark score at the Orlando uh, Nike Combine. Now, he actually does have a couple offers. He just has no stars yet. Uh, South, South Carolina offered him shortly after after the new year, and then Oregon came down and offered. Uh, Lehigh has a running back today that LSU offered him, Chris Curry. So there's going to be a lot of schools stopping into Lehigh High School, which is about uh, 30 minutes east of, of Fort Myers, about an hour north of Naples, if, if you all are familiar with kind of southwest Florida there. Um, Russell Brown, a, a really nice-looking prospect. Not sure he'll get to that four-star status, but legitimate size, 6'2", 189, and, and measured in. No shoes. That's that, that's that's a good build. It's good height. He shows decent speed. Uh, willing blocker. Pretty good little moves. Catches the ball well. Physical. Definitely a guy who I mean is obviously going to be a power five guy given those offers now. Uh, but just another example here. We like to highlight some of the kids who have no stars who have have shown on the field with other elite players that hey, my star rating early on does not define me. I, I'm a good player. So shout out to Jarvis and Russell today. Uh, two kids who I've enjoyed watching. Yeah, I look at uh, real quick on Russell. Like I look at that offer and I see South Carolina there, and I say, "That's a will. That's 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 what South Carolina can do. South Carolina can get a, this guy a diamond in the rough. You evaluate him well. You get on him early. You bring him in, and he becomes a playmaker um, for a team that can't necessarily fight with elite teams on every elite recruit." And let's face it, there's not a, some some schools, their area recruiter who's supposed to be coming down uh, that Fort Myers Naples way, hit Tampa, hit St. Pete, hit IMG, maybe hit a couple schools in Bradenton where IMG is, turn back around, gamble at the Hard Rock, fly home. They don't always make that extra hour and a half drive south because there's nothing really past Naples. I mean, after you hit Naples, high school football wise, you're either cutting left and going over to Miami, which is two more hours, and nobody takes that route to go to Miami. If you fly into Tampa or you're going down to the Florida Keys, but there's some good ballers down there. You know, you've had Edger and James, Deion Sanders, Javon Curse, um, a number of kids out, out of Immokalee who have gone pro. So, you know, it's, it's an under recruited area by Florida standards. And, and so Russell Brown's a good example of that. An, an area that maybe is starting to get a little more, a little more pub. Absolutely. All right, guys, I uh, very much appreciate listening. We, if you have a, a, place to listen to this that we are not on for instance if you want us to get on stitcher or google play music or, or wherever uh, and we're not on there just please email me or, or, or tweet it at us you can follow me always on uh twitter at sbn recruiting and richard at rj underscore rights all right guys and we will try to do these about every seven to ten days and look forward to having richard on as a guest uh, more often so take care